Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial, undisclosed office location in Chicago is Shelby Mongan. Shelby, how are you? I'm here. I'm good. I'm tired. The week has been long, but it is it has been good. So the day trucks on. How about you? I'm doing well. It, it's uh, I feel I felt really socially programmed this week, which is fine, but also just for me, it's like really draining. Yeah. And it's nice to see all those people, but ew. Yeah. Yeah, at a certain Ew. point, I'm just like, I need to be able to sit at home in by myself right. for like one to two hours to just like recharge. Yeah, it's a good thing to be able to do, but sometimes you just sort of need your turtle moment where you can just pull your legs back in your shell and hide a little bit. Uh, so Shelby, uh, let's move on to our screen watching segment. I was outside watching some deer frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Uh, for this week, we're delving into a little bit of drama. Yes. My favorite kind of drama, which is to say incredibly schmaltzy, cheesy, stupid drama. For this, we're looking at Degrassi, The Next Class. So uh, I think there is one thing that everyone knows about Degrassi. Yes. Uh, the illustrious beginnings of everyone's favorite um, rapper, actor, man about town, fan of basketball, uh, Drake. <laughs> Drake was on the show back in the day, far before he was a rapper, um, and, and when it was one of the teens back in the um, early 2000s um, on a show, so on Degrassi, The Next Generation, um, which was a Canadian teen show as it is now, as it was before. So the old show, um, the it was a teen high school show in The Next Generation. Uh, one of the kids from the old show was a parent of one of the teens, and another one of the kids from the old show was a teacher, and, and it was meant to literally be the next generation at school. And in theory, though I don't actually know how this one is situated, what we watch is the next generation past. Yeah, big distinction. Next generation versus next class. Yeah. And we are jumping on pretty early. Season 1, episode 6, titled Hashtag Not All Men. Note. All episodes, at least in the first season, are titled Hashtag Something, which just really feels like a baby boomer trying too hard. They continue to have hashtags, at least up through season four, they oh, have hashtags. Kill me, okay. And this is on um, Netflix, I believe, now. It used to be on um, Canadian Broadcast and then was picked up by The N, which is a subset of... Nickelodeon. You picked the right person for this episode. Actually, I'm pretty sure this... I don't know if this was either my idea or we discussed it heavily beforehand, but I watched a lot of Degrassi when I was younger because we had the end, and I loved Degrassi and Radio Free Roscoe. Those were the two teen dramas that they had, um, so I was pretty familiar with the tropes. But I think now it is on Netflix, which is uh, interesting. Interesting shift. Uh, so for the 
purposes of this episode, there are a bunch of different plots going on because uh, this is a, a drama show with a large divergent cast. But we're focusing on the drama happening with the uh, gaming club, which mm-hmm. is led up by Hunter. Hunter, a very moody boy. Yes. A sad moody boy. I believe he would be known as an edgelord. A, a, yes. Had he been on Zanga back in the day when I watched the Degrassi The Next Generation, his username might have been lowercase x, uppercase x, lowercase x, underscore edgelord. <laughs> Perhaps. He would definitely play a Reaper. Oh, he is Reaper incarnate, for sure. Um, though, but like sad teenage Reaper. Um, so a kid that certainly appears to be played. Now, granted, we're talking about some of these like mid-plot um, with uh, characters that have been developed over a couple of episodes. Though this kid clearly has anger issues. He's dealing with some father drama, kind of, we noticed, because we were... We accidentally watched the wrong episode. Uh, I won't even suggest watching it because it's not even good or bad enough to to merit that. But um, yes, Hunter, a, a, a small angry boy. Yeah, and he leads up this uh, gaming club, and they play a game that appears to be a MOBA of some kind. And the episode picks up with them playing it, and they win it, and they're going to to regionals. Yes, which I actually did some cursory googling and was fascinated to see, to find the high school esports leagues and stuff that exist. I think I'm just, I'm, it makes sense to me that those would exist, but it's, I, it's still hard for me to believe, granted, despite the fact that, like, of course kids those that age are, are playing in leagues. A lot of the professionals start out at 18 because they've been playing for quite some time up until that point. They have super fresh uniforms. They are like the, the I think they're the, the Degrassi Panthers. If I read that yes, right. the Panther Panthers are that is the that is the school's mascot for sure. Oh, perfect, perfect. Um, the the game that they played is rendered. It's a MOBA. It's supposed to be a MOBA. It's supposed to look like crappy League of Legends or something similar. Um, it looked like Doom One. Like it didn't. <laughs> it felt terrible. What made me laugh, I was thinking about when I was watching the scenes of those playing of them playing the game, there is a series that the Game Grumps YouTube channel did on YouTube Red that also followed a team that played a MOBA and it was again another fake MOBA and it's a very it's a very lewd but pretty funny esports show and they had they had to make a fake MOBA and it looked fairly realistic like I was impressed and that was a YouTube show this is a regular established long running like Canadian like signpost show that's on Netflix and I'm pretty sure I could have programmed those scenes in Unity and I've never used Unity before <laughs> they looked terrible. Well, there might be a reason for that. You see, uh, the team, they have, I guess, inferior computers. And so that might go some of the way to explaining as to why the game looks like it runs so poorly. Which is weirdly the most believable part of the entire episode. Is that they might be complaining that like their, their monitors might not have a high enough refresh rate, or they might not have computers that can handle playing but also that a high school team in Canada would require the sheer volume of precision that would come from like the highest end computers that that's actually a problem like I don't think that really affects player performance too much it's more about I think the internet connection really yeah there's some things that depending on what kind of roles but in a MOBA I don't think as much FPS's more so there's definitely truth in that given 
you know, how precise you can be in, in tracking and, and um, if you're doing things like playing snipers and stuff like that. It matters slightly more, but uh, not for these guys. That's not what it is. That's not why. Unless they're playing on, like, Windows 95, that might be a problem, but... I don't think it was the computers. They lo- They won their, their qualifying match by a hair. Yes. Which I don't think getting better computers would be like, oh, great, that was what held us back. Like, no, this is just a weird plot device. Yes. Nevertheless, though, they decide they need new computers before they can take on regionals, and they decide uh, to make a fundraising campaign to get that money. Which I was immediately worried about with the way that they framed it. Because I knew the overarching plot of the episode um, I knew the sort of after-school special theme they were getting at. And then the first question asked was of our of our small angry boy to Alterna Girl in the gaming club, um, do you still have that cosplay in your closet? That's exactly where my head went I to. went, please don't make these children take lewds and then sell them. Because he'd also before that talked about like paying money for autographs. And I thought like that, mmm, mmm. Are we going to have this conversation? Thank God we didn't. No, we have a totally different conversation because yes. they, they film a pretty, like a totally chaste, like very normal, sweet even. It's really sweet. Fundraising video to, like, to go up on their Indiegogo slash Kickstarter slash whatever. They're all in costume. It's adore. That would have gone viral, I feel like, if it had gotten out at all to like one. It, it could have, if this happened in real life and one person found it, it would have gone viral because they were all in costumes from the character. It was precious. Mm-hmm. Sweet little babies. And at first it looks like it's going well. <laughs> they start uh, making some money. Then they flash a, a phone, which conveniently says they have raised $1,000 exactly. Thank God. <laughs> but there is an intervention where it looks like uh, the student council wants to have a hearing because of the subject matter of the game. Yes, that it's misogynist, which, like, so this is, my experience of this episode is somewhat colored by watching the episode previously, which, for context, if someone happens to go out and watch this, <laughs> um, the council meeting involves the feminist club fighting the gaming club, because apparently no name creation, not, really want to get on the nose, really want to be pretty obvious with what these clubs do. And the girl who is primarily at first attacking the gaming club is the girl who the previous episode said that she didn't want to be a feminist because she didn't hate men and then was changed in a single conversation and then wrote it like they played her anthem that she, she's in some band or something. Um, and then she was on the front lines attack, attacking this club about how terrible it was that this game promoted violence against over-sexualized women. And I was just like, really? Why? <laughs> Why this way? Yeah, I, I mean, I, so I think that is a, a relevant conversation about the, the systemic sexism that can take place in video games where women can be underrepresented and overly sexualized. Oh, explicitly are both underrepresented and explicitly, explicitly sexualized. And they also make the point... Um, in some cases, brutally murdered in various ways while both being underrepresented and sexualized. I, I, will, I will say that in the, game, the context of the game, it is meant to be like a, a fantasy world where it's like, in theory, all the competitors are of an even strength and skill and meant to be like battling each other for whatever purpose of the game. And it's not mm-hmm. meant to <clears throat> demonstrate that women are victims, but I can also realize like why that could still be troubling. 
Yeah, the design. I mean, so I think the violence against women thing is is uh, that is a harder leg to stand on. Understandable is like it, there are, there are critiques to be made there, but I think that the representation of women in the game, and actually they bring up the representation in the league that Degrassi's team has a girl on it, but there aren't girls on any other teams from any other high schools as far as they've seen. Um, and that they show literally models from the game side by side, and despite the terrible quality of animation, it was pretty accurate to what you'd see playing World of Warcraft, um, playing League of Legends, playing any sort of game where you are going to primarily see women through a very particular male gaze, which is to say uh, impractical, scantily clad armor, um, exaggerated proportions, um, and, and primarily highly sexualized. And the males um, meant to, again, in that sort of male power fantasy, like very muscular, very strong, not meant to cater towards women sexualizing them necessarily. Um, you, This is what you get for letting the feminist killjoy on your episode about <laughs> sexism <laughs> in games. Um, that is a... She's not wrong. Like, that is a problem um, in a lot of... In a lot of not just games, though, I think that's the thing that made it feel sort of tone deaf is that they were mad about this one game um, where, you know, there are so many. You can't throw a rock and not hit an example of that. And to some degree, it's a pick and choose your battle. And to some degree, it is a how do we have this conversation constructively? A great example. These women in the game have it. And you see it in thousands of other media properties of impractical chest armor on women that are built to emphasize body parts, but are also then, by physics, built to drive any sword, spear, or other implement directly into your sternum. <laughs> There's a reason why armor is built the way that it's normally built, and for women, the sexualization and the stylization of it is wildly impractical. So that is a legitimate problem. Is it a problem that means you should shut down a video game club? Nah. I'm, I'm thinking no. And maybe if... You had the right person there who could address these concerns and recognize that some of these issues are valid and there are some problematic elements to the mm -hmm. game and could handle it at a more uh, mature level, mm -hmm. then there could be a different resolution. Totally. As it stands, <laughs> uh, poor, a little hunter is not the uh, emotionally well-developed and calm and even-keeled person to carry that out. No, though I will say, so Hunter freaks out and makes a very he's, problematic, he almost he gets to a good point. He starts on the road, and then he like veers off the road. And he almost gets to a good point. He ultimately ends, and, and I'll be frank about it because they are in the episode, he ultimately ends, their argument was to stop the game club because the game is triggering to women, particularly women who are, um, who are survivors of violence, which is... An argument to be made. That's a conversation. He ends it by saying that what if someone said that you weren't allowed to wear the main woman in the feminist club um, who was arguing with them wore a hijab and said that what if I was triggered by that and afraid that you were going to go crazy and blow up the school? Um, which is like, there's almost, there, there's almost a conversation there, right, about how we understand what we consider to be triggering and how we handle those things and what's appropriate and what isn't. But it was mostly just like a small boy yelling a lot. Yeah. Um, however, that conversation did result in the best line of the entire episode, and I would argue perhaps of all of Degrassi ever, 
which is where she <laughs> insists that they should try a different game. And he says, like, no, this is the game. This is the game that's famous. It's popular. This is where you go professional. And she says, why don't you try Wii Bowling? <laughs> and says it's straight-faced and very angry as if that is the eSport capital. And I have never been happier with a weirdly specific line choice in my <laughs> entire life. It, it was great. It was a, a real lack of recognition of what, like, is actually going on. Like, yeah. even if you're against it, you should at least understand, like, okay, uh, they're doing this thing to, like, compete in this event. You can't just right. be like, well, don't play football. Right. Play lawn darts. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, although I do like the idea that she got mad about the Wii Bowling. This came out in, like, 2016. <laughs> the Wii hadn't been relevant for so long. I know everyone hated the Wii U, but seriously, like, we don't need to go all the way back to Wii Bowling. Um, but I do think it does betray that line well, genuinely made me LOL. I think it does betray an interesting part of that conversation, which is how do you have this conversation about a representation um, and about the depictions of a some marginalized group. Because this conversation is also true if we talk about the representation of either Muslims or Middle Eastern people in games like Call of Duty, right? There, there are other spaces we can go to um, to have conversations about how we see representation and what games we should be playing and glorifying and paying for and all that. But someone who would go to Wii Bowling as the next eSport, the next eSport craze that they should try, fundamentally doesn't understand what's happening. And I think that's interesting, too, is that, like, yeah. you can't... They're not speaking the same language. They're in completely different spaces and cultures. Um, and both have points, but they can't talk to each other because there's no attempt to, like, understand the other's actual perspective and culture. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if that was something they were really driving at or if that was just, like the writer's maybe ignorance of the topic. Yeah, yeah, I don't, it's so hard to tell because I feel like someone's got to at least care a little bit about esports to make it a whole, like, season-long, because at least it was in the episode before, a season-long plot line of the show. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea whether it's it's one or the other, but I'd like to think it was a point being made somewhat on purpose because if so, that's an interesting point to make. Um, the amount of women that are playing professional sports is pr or esports specifically is pretty low. That's an interesting conversation to have, and it actually comes up really briefly in the episode too, where he insists, poor Hunter insists in a fit of rage, it's not my fault the boys are better in video games than girls, which, while a stupid thing in the context of this episode and made clear that it's a dumb thing to say, is like. Not an uncommon opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a common white male trope to re uh, recognize your own personal victimhood and no one else's. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, he is frustrated somewhat understandably yep. that there are a lot of, like, systemic issues that he cannot control, mm -hmm. that he's being asked to uh, testify to, sure. and he cannot possibly satisfy uh, this other girl who is like bring telling him that these things need to change right now. Right. Like he, there's no way he can do it. Right. But he is so blind to how they, these other people are impacted. He can only figure out, he can only focus on his own, uh, harm mm -hmm. and how he is being harmed and not get into the viewpoint of these other people that it totally shuts down. I think the conversation perhaps more so 
than anything anyone else is doing. Yeah, it turns into what I've seen, to some degree, what I've seen referred to online as um, the oppression Olympics or pain Olympics, where it's who is suffering more in this situation. Because he talks about the fact that in the school, they are totally, like, they're kicked around, the club is made fun of, he, like, is nervous about being punched in the face when he looks at some of the jock guys, which I think is somewhat of a tired trope, but it's still kind of true. It's a little dated of a premise to some degree in a lot of spaces because those lines are a little bit more blurred now. But, because, um, yeah, I can't help but think about, like, at least nowadays, something like Fortnite in schools. And the fact that I just read an article recently that parents are paying tutors like $25 an hour or $30 an hour to teach their kids to get better at Fortnite because they're getting made fun of. So, slightly different world, but, um, yeah, the, 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 his, he is putting his pain that he suffers and the refuge that he gets in that game and that team, um, he's defending that, whereas the feminist club, God, the name is bad, um, is looking at the game itself and trying to fight these big battles and also looking at their own kind of oppression. And you're right, they're just not hearing each other. And unfortunately, the way it ends up is that uh, Hunter is just... He, whether he could have fixed any, uh, the situation is up in the air, but the way he handles it is poor, and the school board shuts down the gaming club altogether. Which sucks, because actually the compromise that he tried to come to, so his offering was, we'd stop wearing headphones, we'd stop trash-talking, we'd play with the male characters instead of the female characters so that we didn't have to do that, which then, of course, is what about the representation of women then if you don't play any of them? Um, and I get that. that Sometimes that conversation of how do we do this well feels really fruitless because every time you try to do something to fix it, you nine times out of ten step on a different toe that you didn't mean to. Um, but I think his compromise was a conversation to be had. Like, for small angry boy, it was a good... It was a good diplomatic move. It was an attempt to be mature. Now, unfortunately, it was met with, why don't you play Wii Bowling? Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it was unfortunate that he was turned away, uh, that that effort of compromise was completely turned away. And I think it was uh, important on their part, or definitely uh, a noticeable thing, that they paired him with a, uh, a homosexual boy. Or yeah. I am assuming an an effeminate boy. Yeah, let's put it that way. I'm sorry. An effeminate boy, a a boy of appearing to be East Asian descent. Mm -hmm. And I believe, uh, I just noticed this reading the Wikipedia, uh, perhaps a non-binary girl. Because they keep saying that uh, they in reference to her. Really? Interesting. Huh, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, so that's actually been my bad of of assuming in that case. But someone who, but they refer to her, at least in the argument, they refer to her with female pronouns. So I wonder that that's probably a larger, very Degrassi-esque plot line of um, this person um, coming out or exploring being non-binary. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it does also, I think, show how sometimes... So the, the episode ends on somewhat of a dark tone. Uh, seems like uh, things are going to get worse before they get better. Yep. And how uh, marginalized people, uh, we'll, we'll stick with just marginalized white men, because that's, again, my area of expertise, <sighs> yeah. can sometimes band together under uh, someone because that person is the person who understands them or sure. has been sympathetic to them. Sure, totally. And that sucks. 
And also, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would be, in, I'm not enough to watch Degrassi, but I would be interested in seeing where this plot goes. Well, it goes places. Yeah. Yeah, reading ahead, it goes places. Interesting. We'll have to just, I'll have to read some more in-depth plot synopses um, because I'd be curious to see where, how they resolve this and, and whether they continue to have this conversation. Because the one thing I will say about Degrassi is it is an episodic show. So it's a show. It's over a long period. They're building so many storylines. There's very short periods because they're normally focusing in a 23-minute episode on at least three different plots, if not four or five. Um, so they don't have a lot of time to dig into any particular one. And I wonder if, as they go on, if they're going to keep delving into this conversation or if this is just their hashtag not all men's conversation and then they're not going to touch the misogyny in that game and the misogyny involved in a lot of gamer culture or if it's actually going to be an overarching theme. My impression was the discussion specifically about gamer culture ends here and that it goes into more of a different troubling uh, set of <laughs> tropes about online harassment. Great. Oh, yeah, because he does end with a, th- a threat for revenge, which, like... Oh, small boy, why must you embody 4chan right now? Like, don't do this. Yeah. Don't, please, we're, we learn from our mistakes. Your, your four generations have done dumb crap enough. Like, please learn from us. But, I don't know, it's, there's so many things that are so close to making good conversation pieces and making good points and bringing up interesting stuff. But it just really just shoots itself right in the foot every time it tries. Yeah, and I want shows like that to keep trying. Like, yes. This seems like a very contemporary conversation to be having, especially uh, for teenage-focused television. Yeah, definitely. Very, very frank. The show's always been pretty frank about stuff. and Oh, yeah. Deals, yeah. But also, but it's always been really frank about stuff. I mean, heck, so this is actually a really funny contrast. The first episode of Degrassi, The Next Generation, um... A character is spending, a girl is spending quite a bit of time in, like, chat rooms um, online. And she thinks that this guy that she's met is a cute boy that she wants to meet up with. And she meets up with him. And he's an old guy and it's creepy. And it's all about that, like, how do we deal with the new world of the internet and the freedom that we have with technology now. Um, Again, not necessarily handled perfectly, but still having those conversations that are hyper, hyper relevant to the moment where the show is being produced. So at this point, uh, I'm not sure the rating system is fully equipped to deal with this, but we'll give it a go anyway. Uh, So we've rated these episodes on three different categories. uh, Accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. (laughs) So let's start off with accuracy. I think accuracy is the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, So on a scale of 6 out of 10, because, you know, we're reviewing video game-related material, so it must be on a scale of 6 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, would you rate this 6 for completely inaccurate or 10 for extremely accurate? I feel like I need to go high middle. This is my inclination. I'm a, I think I might go with like an 8. 8.5 maybe? Because I feel like it, it. there are a lot of things that it talks about and voices that it echoes and like things that feel like they're direct quotes of gamer culture and specifically of both esports 
and esports adjacent things, as well as conversations about how we understand particularly women in video games, both as characters and as players. So there's stuff that's accurate. However, like, there's so much that feels off to me, and it loses at least a half a point because the game quality looks so bad. Mm-hmm. I can't, I won't believe it, that in 2016 <laughs> someone is playing a game, Mist looked, original Mist looked better than this looks. You're saying you can't even? I hashtag can't even. Okay. So I'm going to give it, I think, I'm going to give it an eight and a half, I think. Okay. Uh, I think I will give it, uh, I'm going to give it a nine. Mm -hmm. Because I think the use of a MOBA as the game of choice is pretty uh, modern. It's not like a first person shooter, which would have had its own set of hangups if they wanted to get into that. Sure. Uh, and then also, I believe they quoted an actual video card when they were talking about like GTX 980s that they needed. Yeah, that is a real. Yeah, that was very funny. That that she they they really read off that hardware quite or just off the tip of their tongue, and I was like, I've heard that before. So I uh, yeah, I, I think that they did a pretty good effort of trying to properly contextualize modern video games, and even the counter argument of the Wii bowling stuff perhaps appropriately showed like how people might not fully get what esports are. Yeah. Speaking of hits on accuracy, accuracy though, where was the teacher sponsor of this club that would have kept small angry boy from being insensitive and breaking keyboards and stuff? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> I feel like that would have been a different conversation. If I, I, I'm all for being student-led, and I understand that. But at least in older capacity, the teachers were a prominent part of the show and, and were involved in things, had their own plot lines, had conversations. Um, it, I think it facilitated the point that they were trying to make with especially the confrontation scene. But, it, yeah, where are your... What kind of high school lets you just make clubs without any supervision? I think in both episodes that we watched, I didn't see a single teacher. Oh, there was one. The, the one, writing teacher. Yeah, the writing teacher. Not in this episode, in a different episode. If... <laughs> I keep wanting to make puns, but I'm trying to keep this a family podcast, so... Yeah, I know you're positively buzzing with... Uh, <laughs> That stuff is condescension. Condescension. uh, So a a rating of six is that you do not think it was condescending towards video games at all, and a rating of ten is you find it extremely condescending. I don't... I can't give it a six. I can't give it a ten, right? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I'm going to go with a seven or an eight, because I think that they're... It would be condescending if they were wrong about the like points about misogyny in video games, right? If they if that wasn't still a very prominent trope in games, um, I would be more kind of offended on behalf of video games. However, it's still a thing that we see plenty of. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a seven, seven and a half. Apparently, I don't like whole numbers today. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go uh, Disagree with me, Bill. Well, I'll try. Woman up, disagree with me. 
wait, no, you're going to adjust your skirt after this because <laughs> this is going to be a really good one and you're going to be bad because you're a girl. Ouch, sick bird. I'm going to give it a six. I, I think, yeah. Okay. <laughs> with, with the same thoughts, really, that you had. Like, it is sometimes condescending yeah. towards games, but also in a completely accurate and relatable way right. of condescension. I, I, You know what? It would have felt less condescending if there had been anyone that had actually maintained being a voice of reason. His small angry boy, whose name I refuse to use, um, he... He got close. He didn't have the knowledge. He had the good intentions. And he got close to, like, having a reasonable position. Now he's going to, I'm sure, dox people or do something ridiculous online. And he broke many keyboards. So, like, went unreasonable pretty quickly. Um, And that's unfortunate because there are reasonable ways to have conversations about that. But it's also a teen drama. So you can only expect so much. Mm -hmm. And then lastly... uh... Entertainment. So, uh, you know, you this is uh, open to your own interpretation. So a 6 is, I did not find this entertaining at all. A 10 is, I found this extremely entertaining. They're so bad at acting, Bill. I remember... I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really notice. I guess I was... It felt so... It, and I mean this in the most honest way. It felt so high school drama. And there are dramas that are super well acted. There are high school, like there are, well, these are almost certainly people in their 20s, are good actors. And it felt so stilted to me. Um, There were moments. I'm going to give it an extra point. I'm going to give, no, I'm going to give it an extra half point for the Wee Bowling line. And I'm going to give it a half point for a fun, unrelated to video games check-in with Rory's dad from Gilmore Girls, who is aging very well. He looks great. He actually looks the exact same. It's sort of creepy. Um, so I'm going to give it like a, a very generous seven. Uh, I guess if I'm being honest, I would give it a six. I did not it, it wasn't watch this good. for my own entertainment or find any entertainment along the way. I just wanted to know what was happening, and I found out I am now... And darkened. Right. I'm not enlightened. I'm in darkened. I, I can confirm, too, so as someone who watches now and before shows like this, it's not just that you don't like teen dramas, right? Like, it's not like you didn't find it entertaining because you don't like teen dramas. I just don't think it's a very good example of one, which is unfortunate. Like, every point they're trying to make, having watched now the two different episodes, is made with the subtlety of a sledgehammer. Yeah, it seriously is. Which, granted... Sometimes is necessary, cause sometimes kids are dumb. Um, but it's it's they're they're topics that require some finesse, and you don't get a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You definitely, yeah, you really don't. Uh, now that we've ended uh, screen watching, Shelby, uh, let's move on. We're gonna be talking with Chris Wade of Watchshot Games. He just recently made Sausage Sports Club, which is the my, maybe my favorite recent example of ragdoll physics in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, oh boy, it is great physics. It is adorable. Yes. And we'll be talking with him right now.
So usually, uh, Chris, we start off with a, a little bit of a, like a background for the guest to find out like what made them want to be want to make games. And in this case, I was just wondering if there was a particular moment growing up while playing games or a, a moment with other people that made you decide that you wanted to do that for yourself. So I didn't decide that making games was going to be my career until I was in college and I was in front of the list of all the majors that I could do at college. And I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, but one of the things on that list was game development and that kind of matched what I was interested in and seemed like the least bad job out of all of those things. Uh, but I can say when I was in high school, I had a bunch of like early kind of false starts of messing with like 3D modeling or starting to use Game Maker or modding Left 4 Dead, that kind of thing where I like, you. It, looking back, it was easy to see like, oh, I was interested in making game stuff, but I didn't really like think of it as something I could do as my job. It was just like a fun thing to mess around with. So you uh, went to DePaul, of course, and you had previously decided to attend without having that idea in mind mm -hmm. yet? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it turns out that DePaul is a really, really good school for game development, like one of the top 10 in the country for development specifically. And I had no idea when I was applying for colleges. Uh, I ended up going to DePaul because two of my friends from high school, where I was really good friends with, had decided they were going to go to DePaul and be roommates together. And they, they basically pitched this as like, you should come go to DePaul with us. We know you don't know where you want to go to school yet. It'll be really fun and we don't have to worry about like random roommates or whatever. So it's, it's not like a particularly exciting story and I didn't know what I was getting into. It just like kind of happened that DePaul was like this amazing uh, place to learn how to make games. And I got really lucky that that's where I ended up. We'll skip ahead a little bit, uh, but after you graduated, it appears that you started Luckshot Games in 2015. And was it always your intent to work independently, or did you envision yourself as working for or as part of a studio? Sure, yeah. Uh, so when I when I kind of got into game development in college, I had always thought, like, I'll work at a studio. Like, the, the first job I wanted was to, to work at Bethesda on, like, Skyrim and, you know, all their RPG games and model trees and stuff like that, just like make environment art that looked really cool. And at some point in when I was going to DePaul, Rami Ismail came and like gave a talk at the school to all the students about his career up to that point, which was, I think shortly after they had released Ridiculous Fishing. And his whole talk was me and my friend JW quit college and decided we were gonna make independent games and it was just us. And we kind of like ran things the way we wanted to and we're focused on sustainability and like being able to make games as a living. And they, you know, they had great success doing it. And I remember very vividly in that, in that talk that Rami gave, I, I realized there was these two guys and I was like, this sounds amazing. Like if these, if these two guys can do it, I could do it. And, and that was totally like a naive thought at the time. Cause it's, there's so, there's so much like business and just stuff you need to know to know how to make a game, let alone like sell it or, you know, get it, get it into different markets or whatever. But at the time I was totally like set at that moment, like I'm going to do this. This is, this is like the thing that I'm going to do with my career. And uh, so, so from that moment on, I was like independent games is like the thing for me. When you uh, were working at NetherRealm, was that part of like a trial balloon to see if you were uh, actually still interested in working in a studio or was that like you getting your feet under you before you went out on your own? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe halfway through uh, going through school, it kind of became clear that uh, making games is a really competitive job, and like to to keep living in Chicago, which which is away from my family in Cleveland, uh, I would have to like get a job and have a sustainable career. So even though I knew I wanted to do indie games eventually, it, it, I didn't like I wasn't rich. I didn't have money to like fall back on. So. I couldn't just get right into it, and I, I also didn't really know how to make games at that time. Uh, so I, so I kind of went the maybe more traditional route of doing internships uh, and just kind of getting contract jobs to like try to figure out how to make games and how to make a living and stuff like that. And so the first one I did was uh, at Robomogo, which is the the company known for making the the like new not so great Tony Hawk games and I did an internship there and then from that I was able to get into NetherRealm and work on Mortal Kombat uh, so so that was like me trying to get solid footing so that I you know I, I had the stability and freedom to like make my own stuff until I could actually do it now at what point did you conceive the idea for Sausage Sports Club that was it uh, just after GDC 2015, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, where uh, a bunch of game developers go and listen to like talks and you know meet their friends, make new friends, do networking and business stuff, all that stuff. Uh, at that conference in 2015, Bennett Foggy, uh, developer of Quop, that's that's probably what he's best known for, or maybe getting over it now, uh, gave a talk about uh, physics engines and how. Uh, and how the more you know about how a physics engine works, the better you can design a game and did, did this amazing deep dive into how physics engines work and how knowing like the inner intricacies of these things would give you like insight into like designing types of games that you couldn't without knowing how to, without knowing the intricacies of a physics engine. Uh, and from that, I, I was like super excited, went home, started playing around with Unity, which was the the engine that I knew the best at the time, and just started trying to make like uh, interesting floppy stuff. Part that that was part of it, and then the other part was around that time I I was really into like sports highlight reels of just like athletes doing these incredible feats with their bodies, and kind kind of like like skateboarding was one, and basketball was the other one that I was super excited about, and I kind of compared this to video games where. In almost every video game, you only have control of your body with one stick, and then maybe you like aim with the other stick or something like that. And that seemed really simplified and too abstracted away from like physical control. So those those two inspirations together like led me into this like kind of floppy sports game, and it, eventually it became like very silly. And I decided to lean into that instead of like pulling away from it and trying to go in, in the more like feats of athleticism way, but uh, it, that, that was where it started at least. Uh, so you previously talked about the, that one of the things that, uh, Bennett Foddy emphasized was creating like a physics engine and how that can, uh, cause you to find like the game of the engine. Uh, now how did that manifest for sausage sports club? Like, was there a game you discovered first and then like you built out from there or did they kind of all come like at the same time? So I like I mentioned I use Unity, which kind of has a fixed tool set. You can't without rewriting or like making your own complete physics engine, you can't really like mod into it that much. Uh so I so I was kind of limited by that. But um 
I I would say that I I kind of my my design process in general is to find like a toy that's that's really interesting and fun and has a lot of like uh, solution space like potential options for players to play around with uh, and then build out from there and with sausage it was totally that where I found the like twin stick flopping your head with one stick and moving with the other stick as like a fun thing and then I kind of just kept trying to make that better and more interesting and more fun throughout throughout like the whole process of making the game even up until like weeks before shipping I was still tweaking tweaking movement, tweaking how the head moves. And at first when you were in imagining uh, the game, the sausage was like actual encased meats for the characters. But uh, somewhere along the line, you you made the choice to uh, switch over to animals uh, of all different kinds. Was What went into that? Uh, so I, I started with these like sausage characters and I thought they were silly, but some people were kind of, kind of turned off or like made uncomfortable by the like almost explicit phallicness of of those characters and so i was like okay i'm not really trying to like discuss people and i do want to make an accessible game that everybody can be interested in and not feel uncomfortable so i put in uh, a dog character based on the office dog at the co-working space in chicago i worked uh and like i did that and then everybody at the co-working space was like super excited thought it was really funny and i i posted a few gifs of this dog character and one of them blew up and went super viral uh i i don't remember like the total but it was it was like hundreds if not thousands of retweets which was like crazy viral for me especially at the time and that that kind of made me dig in and say like this this is like a a, a direction that people are interested in and excited about and that there's something here so i need to like dig on this and that that's that's when i like for real made the change to doing animals there are many many different animals and uh many different customization options uh it feels like that was a, a point of emphasis in the uh, development i think customization and having lots of options lets players like feel ownership and kind of control in a way that you can't get in a lot of other games like like creativity in the Sims or Animal Crossing or any game where you can like customize yourself or customize your world, like people get invested deeply in and like just just love in a way that I haven't seen in games where you can't do that kind of thing. So I and I, I've always loved that sort of game and that sense of freedom that comes with that. So I knew I wanted to do something like that in, in Sausage, and it also happens to be a really good like progression kind of motivator if after every match you're like getting new skins or new hats or new characters at like you said you played it so that's you'll you'll be familiar with that it's, it's just like a really good way to get players like playing more and having that one more game feeling it has the same feeling as say an overwatch loot box but i also don't <laughs> have to feel bad like i'm spending money on it i just get yeah. that feeling as part of the built-in package yeah yeah when i released the the release date trailer that that was the first time I had shown in like an official trailer way those those like treasure boxes or presents or whatever and a bunch of the comments on the video were like oh no there are loot boxes this is like free to play garbage and I was I was totally like scared at that moment that everybody was going to think that when they when they saw that trailer because it's uh, like you, you having played it you know it's it's totally free and you get it all the time after like most matches so it, it turned out fine, but it was, that was like a kind of a heart attack moment. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can vouch for it. It's 
totally benign. <laughs> it's all payment of, yeah. I think it was 15 bucks on Switch. Yeah, that's right. And uh, then nothing after that. Uh, so when I was trying it, there, there's an option uh, for uh, four players or uh, or eight players. Are there any efforts to like balance the game for four players or eight players or just, just kind of like let people go in and they'll make their own fun? Uh, there, there's definitely an element of balance to it. Uh, I, I did take the game to a lot of conventions and I, I have notebooks full of notes from doing this of just like every little thing that would go wrong or like thoughts about ways to balance the game and stuff like that. I, I definitely balance towards four, like around four players because I, I think that's like the best way to play this kind of game where it's it's not too many players that it's like overwhelming and you're losing yourself all the time. And it's it's not so few players that it's just like head to head, like super intense competitive I, I think it's like the the best way to play it, like the best environment for it is four players. So that's kind of what I balance towards. And that and that's just like making small changes, watching more people play it, making small changes. And that's at conventions, that's what I did. Like every night at a convention, I would go home and like work through as many things on my list of changes as I could, especially focusing on things I didn't think would break the game the next day. That kind of blows my mind. I'm just attending and I'm exhausted by the end of the day. So to- yeah. To go back, work on the game, and bring back a, a new build the next day. That's wild. Yeah, so, some of that is motivated by like stuff breaking during the build at the show, and like not wanting to come back with that same broken build and watch the same bug happen again the next day. Uh, and once once you're in that mode of like working on stuff, then it's easy to kind of fix other stuff while you're in there or like make other stuff better. Uh, for me, it's it's th- those were so important because. Uh, I'm like, I'm a one person development team. I do all the programming art and design and I can't test with four to eight players that often. So I kind of have to take advantage of that and like do that iterative development when I can. Were there any uh, bugs or glitches that would have um, unintended but amusing consequences on the game? There are tons of hilarious bugs with the the like floppy necks of, of the characters. Uh, the the Probably the... The darkest ones are like where the neck just loses any rigidity and you like your your head can just like go away, like fall through the map or like be left behind as your body is running away. And that's oh, no. that's that's pretty dark, but it's like also very funny when it happens. If you're in the middle of the match too and that happens to one player and then everybody else is trying to play the sport it, and then they realize what happened, it's it's like totally hilarious. Now to loop back around to uh, a couple things you mentioned. You mentioned that uh, you worked with a, a collective in Chicago uh, to develop the game and then you have extensive notes about your own process while making Sausage Sports Club. Now, when preparing for this interview, I, I read up a bit about your process on Medium where, where you did pretty extensive uh, writing on the topic of programming and that I didn't really understand too much of, but <laughs> with the marketing and the other um, sure, yeah. aspects I did. And do you feel like independent gaming is a collaborative process? Did you feel not necessarily obligated, but uh, willing to give back based on what had been uh, provided to you? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I totally felt this sense of responsibility to like pay forward all, all of the like lessons and mentorship I had learning how to make games because I I got lucky in so many ways, like like ending up in Chicago, ending up at DePaul, ending up at the, the co-working space you mentioned, like all of those things just kind of like fell into my lap. I, I worked hard while I was in school and afterwards, but so so much of this stuff is just like circumstance and not everybody has that 
that opportunity, even back to going to college, like so many people don't get that chance. And so I, I, I feel it's so important to try to, to try to like share, share your luck. Like any, anytime you have success that other people don't have access to for whatever reason, the, the onus is on you to like try to help other people. I, I also feel like a huge sense of, of pride. And I don't know, it's like a dopamine hit whenever, whenever somebody like replies to, to some like useful blog post or tweet I've made saying like, Hey, I found this really useful. So it's, it's kind of both of those things. Like it's, I, I feel it's a responsibility of anybody who has privileged, like pay it forward. And also like, it feels good to do it. Another way that you uh, gave back uh, uh, to other projects was you worked on uh, manifold garden, which uh, to the, be- the best of my knowledge is still in progress. And then Battleshef Brigade, which came out uh, last winter. Can you tell me a little bit about your contributions on those games? On Manifold Garden, uh, I worked on a lot of like uh, rewriting systems and kind of implementing tech art sort of stuff. Like like when I joined that game, there were... uh, Part of that game is like cube puzzles where you're like... Uh, affecting gravity and like manipulating these cubes in space and some elements of those weren't working and like sometimes there wasn't like good feedback or the the like the visual language that will was trying to trying to implement in the game like didn't work right and stuff like that so i so i would help him with that or try to refine his his tools to implement new puzzles and stuff like that uh, so, so that, that was kind of a lot of my work on that project is like fixing things that weren't like written that well and making, trying to make them easier for him to work with or, uh, implementing new gameplay mechanics that were, were like designed somewhat, but not, not quite finished. And that's to some extent, that's like what a lot of that game has been as the design has grown and changed, like things need to be rewritten and reworked. And it, that, that game is huge at this point. Like a lot of people have touched it. So uh, that's, that's Manifold Garden. And then Battleship Brigade, I worked on that game for maybe a year and a half or two years or something like that. So I touched a lot of different parts of it. Some of the things I worked on were the camera. There's a dynamic 2d camera that tries to respond to like moving around in different ways. And the camera in the action parts of the game are different from the like puzzle sequences. Uh, I worked on a lot of UI in that game, making things like tween in and out and be flashy and look nice. And uh, a lot of the UI like scrolls and moves around kind of passively while the panels are open. So I worked on some of that. I also like got their first, their first like platform, like to new console stuff. I got that like first part of it rolling uh, once they did that. And then after I left, they like kind of cleaned up the rest of that. Rationally, I realized like with, uh, programming you can do a lot of different work on it but it may not always materialize in like a tangible way to me as the gamer and and to me like saying i worked on characters or monsters or something like that's that's like such a broad aspect of the game that so many hundreds and thousands of hours go into especially in a game like that where it's like combat driven that saying like i worked on the characters doesn't doesn't sound like it covers enough so i feel like i gotta dig deeper so I'm trying to ask this of all of my guests. Uh, so, you know, there's an extensive world of Pokemon out there. I was wondering, uh, Chris, if you could name 
one Pokemon you would like to own as a pet, one Pokemon you would like to be, and one Pokemon that you would like to eat. Oh, eat. Wow. I would I would want to own Pikachu just because it's the, the sweetest the sweetest Pokemon and like does can do the most things from from like a million years of the show or whatever. I would want to be Charizard because it's the coolest Pokemon and then eat. That one's tough. They're all really cute. Maybe maybe Mewtwo, something like that. <laughs> I Mewtwo's kind of a weird a weird choice because Mewtwo Mewtwo like can talk and is sentient, so maybe that's like a messed up one to pick. Does he does he talk or does he use his like does he have telepathy? Oh uh, yeah. That's that's a good question. I'm not sure. He de- he definitely is though. Like it would be bad to eat him. Yeah, I mean that's probably that's true. And I mean Do you did you answer these? Have you answered those questions? I I have not been asked yet, but uh I, I could. Yeah, what are your what are your answers to that? I think I'd like to own a, a Growlithe. Okay. That's a cool one. I would like to be uh, Lucario. Nice. Seems pretty pretty tough. Yeah. To eat, I would go with a, a Psyduck. Oh, cool. That would be good. You know, that duck is exotic. Duck duck is a uh, you know a nice expensive cut at the yeah. uh, the restaurant. Figure That's Psyduck good. cooks up nice. Uh, and so at this point, uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me to chat about the game. And if you want people to find you. Uh, where can they find you? And then where can they find Sausage Sports Club? Sure, cool. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Chris Wade underscore underscore. Uh, that's that's where I'm most active. I tweet a lot about game stuff and and like memes. So if you're into that, that's the place. Uh, and then Sausage Sports Club, you can find at sausagesports.club. If you type that into your browser, it will come up. Uh, it's also on Steam uh, and Nintendo Switch and HIO and the Humble Store. So any of those places, you can check out the game. Excellent. And I, and I must advise any listeners that uh, Chris Wade MMA is a different person. <laughs> yes, that's true. I've been getting Google alerts about him this week. I think he won a fight. He did in Uniondale, New York. Yeah. So uh, go other Chris Wade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but go to yourself as well. Uh, we're, I'm rooting for the success of the game. I have played it myself and I have enjoyed it. So, uh, fingers crossed. Thanks, man. It's, it's looking good so far. Yeah. Well, just, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Bill. It's good. Good to talk. And we're back. Uh, that was our interview with Chris. Uh, if you get the chance, yeah, check out the game. Shelby had the chance to play it with me recently. I was a shark with a sunglasses. It was awesome. But, well, okay. Uh, I guess now maybe we should talk about, uh, maybe there's a video game out there that uh, shows a more even split between male and female characters. Uh, the female characters uh, are across a vast scope of ethnicity and age and have different personalities and uh, sexual orientations and they're not usually depicted in a, a sexualized manner like they sometimes do wear like cute outfits but it's mostly like practical like or combat like superhero gear uh, is there any game like that 
I think you're thinking about um, Mario and Rabbids, that XCOM-like game that they put out on Steam. Yeah. We're talking about Overwatch, obviously. Okay, so hey, Shelby, uh, what you playing? Yeah, so per usual, uh, Shelby being on the podcast means this is time for an Overwatch news update. I will say as a minor aside before I talk about Overwatch, um, I did download a new mobile game this week that I was really... I wrote off super quickly. Like, I downloaded it because I thought it was going to be dumb. I don't know if you do this, but I will sometimes go through the App Store and I will download games knowing I'm almost certainly going to immediately delete them. Um, <clears throat> two games, actually, that I've done that... One a little bit older than I'm revisiting in this one. Um, this one was from this week. is called Hashtag Self Care. Another hashtag. I hate everything. It is a beautiful little game. So the the premise it's is that you are staying in bed all day. It's about practicing self care. And the game is mini games that are essentially small meditation techniques. So there is a breathing one where you just watch a flower or various shapes expand and contract and breathe along with it. You can click on your cat, and then you can pet your cat, and it, you, it just purrs, but you can kind of pet it to relax yourself. You um, Little things that are, honestly, are just purely existing as meditative. The game is free. You can pay for some cosmetic things, but it is meant to be completely free and open, and it is something that I found, though the title is actually terrible, Please stop using hashtags in anything ever. <laughs> um, the game is a nice approachable break if you are having if you are having anxiety problems or depression or you need sort of a break and a little meditation is good. Um, it's a lot more approachable than something like going to um, like Headspace or Calm or like a meditation app. It's a little bit easier to get into, and I'm hoping maybe more appealing to younger audiences, like teens who might need that but don't really have exposure to it. Um, I was actually really impressed at some, and I have some experience, some knowledge about meditation and some of those techniques, and the stuff in there is very kind of self-care oriented, and, and I was impre- I was actually really, really impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a free game. It's on at least iOS. I think I'm sure it's on Android as well or will be soon. Um, but that game is it was a, a pleasant, pastel-colored, gentle music break and moment of meditation that I really, I actually really enjoyed. And it's called hashtag self care, all one word. All one word. Okay. Yep. Um, so that cool. is, it's worth checking out. Um, but yeah, Overwatch is great. Um, lots of news actually. The timing is quite good. Um, so we had um, our new hero that everyone refuses to call by his name. Um, Wrecking Ball is the new character. Uh, Wrecking Ball is a small hamster, which is a whole thing. Everyone thought he was going to be a chimp. In fact, he's a hamster, which I am over the moon about. Because as much as I love Overwatch, and I love the poignant, serious things that they do, and they have really interesting, um, they explore interesting topics about how we move in the world, and how we're an international community, and what does peace mean, and and how do we achieve that? And what does technology do to us? But, like, sometimes the game just needs to be stupid. And it's better if it's stupid. And if it's a small, hyper-smart hamster that doesn't speak any words inside of a giant rolling ball with a grappling hook that speaks words for him and sometimes won't translate those words because the hamster apparently has a filthy mouth. Um, like, yeah, that's dumb and I love it. I'm super here for it. Um, so Hammond has released, um, he's been out for a bit, but he's releasing competitive now. 
Um, and then we just entered uh, Summer Games, which is a yearly event. Um, devastatingly, yet again, we get uh, just one special event uh, game mode, which is Lucio Ball, which is like crappy Rocket League, uh, essentially. Um, and with a new map, but everyone is sort of over. Um, it's, it is an interesting illustration, I think, Overwatch is learning how to play, have a game like this, um, where regular events are great, having something scheduled, so you're always going to have the summer games, you're always going to have something in the winter, always going to have Lunar New Year, anniversary, stuff like that. How do they mix it up in that space? Because everyone is really sick of Lucio Ball at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, we've been playing it for three years, the game hasn't changed at all. Uh, I was really hoping for the ball to be Hamster and be a PC playing Hammond instead of, um, which is his actual name, not Wrecking Ball, um, that the ball would be, you could play with uh, Wrecking Ball instead of a soccer ball. I thought that would be very funny. Um, but Jeff did not listen to all of my voicemails. Um, so, yeah, the game is definitely in this interesting middle space where it's learning. It's really learning how to find its footing as a longer-term game, I think. Um, trying to figure out how they release heroes on a regular basis and how often is often enough and how much is going to be too much to expect out of them. Working on releasing lore at a consistent clip. We're hopefully going to get another short soon, but we've been pretty starved for lore, especially for more kind of outside characters. So characters like, beloved characters like Diva, Lucio, Zenyatta, um, all characters that the community really loves, but that we know very, very little if in the case of D.Va, next to nothing about um, because they haven't released shorts or comics or anything about them. Um, so they're sort of, I think, trying to find their footing there while also still trying to support this professional eSports league, as we talked earlier, um, which the season recently just wrapped up. Congratulations to the Lemon Spitfire. I hate you for beating my sweet, sweet boys in L.A. Valiant. Um, but it was a fun series to watch, and um, I find that Overwatch is a really interesting uh, eSport to get into if you don't know anything about eSports. I think the FPS style is a little bit easier to follow sometimes than MOBAs can be. I like, I'd love to be able to watch, you know, League of Legends eSports. I don't get it. It's really cute. There's a lot of colors. I need to do some studying before I can get into it. Whereas I think there's a potential that Overwatch might be a little bit more explanatory because it's just, yeah. it's a team on a team trying to do one very concrete thing and everything is from one person's point of view. I still, as a viewer, like, I can understand the tension and anticipation of, like, a home run, a long touchdown run, like a three-pointer. Right. I'm still looking to find that moment for myself in, like, a... An Overwatch or a League of Legends or sure. something like that, where it's like, oh, it's going to be lit. It's going to be blank lit. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the funny thing is that I, I know those moments, but I also, because I play the game a lot, so I, I understand where those things come in and out, kind of. But I think that esports in general has got to figure out how to have those conversations, how to show people that, how to teach people this, um, and get folks on board. But hopefully we're moving that direction because... Um, league made a partnership with ESPN, so Overwatch League will be shown on um, Disney XD, hilariously, and then the various mm -hmm. ESPN channels. Um, and I believe the finals, the league finals, were played either on ESPN or ESPN Two. Uh, so 
they're starting to get more and more, they're trying to get more mainstream support. The support that's already going to be there that loves the game is there, and it's pretty solid, but they are trying to figure out how to bring in other people who don't watch esports, who maybe don't play Overwatch as much or don't care as much about playing the game themselves, um, trying to get other folks invested. So I think time will tell as to how that how that works. Um, also, Anna got a new skin, and she looks like she's living in Florida on vacation. Mm-hmm. And the best part... Anna is one of the support characters. She is a beautiful old Egyptian lady, and I will protect her at all costs. She is an eye patch. She is wearing sunglasses in the skin. She is wearing those sunglasses over her eye patch. <laughs> really committed to it. It's nice. It's good. And that was your Overwatch minute with I don't know. It's just, <laughs> mo- <laughs> it's just mostly what I. It's mostly what I play, and it's it, there's so much going on in the game. The fact that I have all these updates that I can go through is is part of why it's able to be so all encompassing. Um, you know. It's cool. There's a lot to say about Overwatch. Uh, there is. At all times. I'm hoping to have other games to talk about. I'm looking at some replays of one game um, that I know is getting a sequel soon, uh, Last of Us, and another game that I'm hoping will get a sequel soon, which is the Borderlands series. There's been rumors of some hires at Gearbox. It's happening. It's definitely happening. Or they're going to pull a, a Bioware on us and... Be like, we're making a new... Just kidding, it's Anthem, and it's a very different game. Sorry, Shelby, you're not happy anymore, which is how I felt when I saw the trailers to Anthem. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, it looks like it's happening, and so if that's the case, then I want to crack open my Handsome Jack collection and play through the series again to get hyped for uh, one of my favorite game series of all time to continue. I still need to go back and finish playing Tales from the Borderlands. Arguably the best part of the entire series. It's so good. The parts I saw were really good. I just it was one of those things where I, I broke off uh, like after episode two. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd finished the entire run yet, so you know. Yeah, it's it is worth playing all the way through. I especially if you care about tales, but actually or about Borderlands in general. But I actually do think it's quite a good game, regardless. Um, it's a good. It's a very solid Telltale game, um, and. The voice acting is great. The um, story is interesting, and I yeah I followed it through release. So I played every I played every episode as it was released. I sat on the message boards on the uh, Telltale website, talking with other people about the series and like theorizing and so it it was really really stellar and and exciting because the pre sequel was quite disappointing. Um, mm-hmm. So it was nice to have a very good Borderlands game. If we couldn't have three. At least give us a good Telltale game. So, check back with me. Play that because I would. I'd love to hear what you think about the whole thing. You got it. What are you playing, Bill? Well, before I play Tales from the Borderlands, I've been covering a bunch of different games. Uh, I last time I talked about Hollow Knight. I have continued to play that. That game is really good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into it too much here. I would recommend you listen to uh, the previous episode if you want to hear more about that. I went in pretty in depth, but basically. Kept playing. I'm still liking it a lot. Uh, there is DLC that's coming out this month in August that appears to extend the lifespan of the game, puts in more quests, things to do. So I've, I paused playing Hollow Knight. Uh, I, I, I found it unending, and I'm waiting to get another ending until after the DLC comes out and I can find more stuff in the world. Interesting. Okay. 
Also, I am playing on my stream at so many bits, twitch.tv slash so many bits. Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. I've been seeing this on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> so uh, this is very much like a Phoenix Wright game where you are a lawyer, you investigate crime scenes, and then look for contradictions and testimony to uh, solve the case. Oh, it's, so it's literally Phoenix Wright but skinned with Harvey Birdman. It's even published by Capcom. Really? Yes, really. I have very faint memories of Harvey Birdman from a long, long time ago, from like old Cartoon Network days. I always associate him with like Space Ghost in my head for some reason. Yeah, I think they even like shared an hour of programming way, way back. I think so, yeah. That's fun. That's a fun throwback. How recent is the game? It's pretty old now. It came out, so it's weird. It came out in 2008. The original broadcast run of Harvey Birdman ended on like 2000. 2007. Okay. And then I guess they're going to have like a, a a special coming out this fall about for Harvey Birdman. Yeah, sure. So they're bringing it back a little bit, but for the most part, it's been done for 10 years. Well, nostalgia is a business model at this point, pretty much on in and of itself. I'm just wondering, are they going to get Stephen Colbert back? Because he was one of the voices on the show. Really? He was. And for the game, they definitely did not have him because sure. the character he plays... Is definitely not voiced by Stephen Colbert. I bet they could. I bet at this point he'd come back for something like that. That would be fun. I wonder. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. But it's uh, you know, it's pretty humorous. Like they've got some misses in there, but a decent number of hits, and it kind of plays like a Harvey or a Phoenix Wright game. So I'm always going to be a bit biased towards enjoying that. Yeah, those are fun. So that's a good. That's a good format. Do you feel like it's a? Do you feel like it is a good? Phoenix Wright game? Like, is it at least a decent or passable in that kind of genre? Phoenix-like? Not really. So, like, in terms of, like, the actual deductions and the overarching, like, story and mystery, it's not anywhere close to what they accomplished with Phoenix Wright. It's the fact that it's, like, the Harvey Birdman and it's, like, recognizable Hanna-Barbera characters and a little bit of humor that's kind of keeping things going for me. That makes sense. It's still worth playing. That's understandable. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of games, though, I played a new game for the first time with you, which I think is still fairly new. Maybe. Which is Ultimate Chicken Horse? Yeah, Ultimate Chicken Horse. Yeah, we talked, we played that. It, uh, we played it at a game night with, um, at Bill's, um, and it was one of the most interesting multiplayer game premises I've played in a really long time that was shockingly well executed. It's really inventive, and I think they more or less nailed the platforming controls, which mm-hmm. was very important for the yeah. kind of game they're trying to make. Yeah. Have you talked about it on the podcast before? No, I don't think so. So the idea of the game is you and your friends playing. You're trying to get from one side of a very blank map to another, normally crossing some sort of large gap. Um, and every round, you get to pick up some sort of item, and that item could just be a wooden platform. It could be a moving platform. It could be a bomb. It could be a machine that shoots paper airplanes. Um, it could be a flower in a pot that if you get too close punches you, um, and you get to place it on a giant grid and you are trying to make it such that, um, you can cross the gap, but your friends or at least some of your friends can't. Um, and it is, and so it's super, super tight, um, super tight controls. It's like if people that made Super Meat Boy were drunk. (laughs) But it's kind of great in that way. You don't have to be great at platformers, necessarily. Because, especially if everyone is not great at platformers, 
you can build the level so they are traversable. We got in some pickles that were real dumb. Oh, yeah. Um, and the nice thing is, even if you die, you can just... What I did in one game, because one of the games I was just playing very poorly, so I just decided to try to screw over as many people as possible. And there were some very satisfying deaths and things that I got to do to people. Even if I lost, it was still really funny to put a portal that someone didn't notice that dropped them onto a bed of spikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was it was fun. It was a really really interesting multiplayer game, and I was I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's on uh, PS4. That's where we were playing it, but it's also available on Steam, Xbox One. It's probably coming to Switch. Everything is. I would be shocked if that wasn't. It's perfect for Switch. It really is. It's also adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're trying to be the ultimate chicken or horse or sheep or hedgehog. No, that was an adorable raccoon. Game. Raccoon is the other one. Yes. So. It's uh, it's it's fun. I love, and there's so much space for expansion too. If they want to make DLC, more levels, more weird items. There's lots of options mm-hmm. for sure. Also, recently on my own, I was playing uh, on my PS4 Gravity Rush Two. Oh, uh huh. So that's you know came out last year in like January, mm-hmm. but I just got around to it, you know, in the past month or so, and it is. A gosh darn pretty game. Yeah. It looks really good. Yeah, it does. It's quite pretty. Like, the animation is very fluid, and the way your character, Cat, moves around the map is so much fun. That's, like, the best part of the game by far. Yeah. She, uh, so, for those of you who are older nerds, you might remember, like, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines I always enjoyed in that is that flying is falling out of the ground and missing. And that is basically how Cat uh, moves. Like, yeah. she, like, will, she kind of, like, cancels gravity around her. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of goes, looks like, flying off in a direction. But it's not like Superman flies, where he's, like, taken off in a straight line. She just kind of, like, aimlessly falls towards objects. I love it. And it looks great. And the, the gameplay's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, lot, there's a lot of combat. There's a lot of, like... Going around and like doing fetch quests, which isn't the best, but I, I've enjoyed what I've gotten to play so far. I, I kind of got away from it, but I'm hoping to get back to it. Mm-hmm. There's like some kind of uh, anime esque plot about uh, an overworked underclass trying to rise up and sure. uh, take out oppressive rulers, and Cat has been uh, kind of swept up in it. It was kind of funny because it's Gravity Rush 2, of course. So, at the start of the game, Cat doesn't have any powers. Right. And it's like, oh, man, I wish uh, my cat was here. Dusty, I guess Dusty is the cat that gives her the gravity powers. Right. And then just, like, 30 minutes and just Dusty randomly shows up. And it's like, oh, Dusty's here. Right. Now I have powers. Now yeah. the game can start. I mean, now I have powers. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, thanks for the plot device. Not Games do not always stick the landing of, like, that interesting narrative justification for the power, especially in sequels. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they had to figure out a reason, I guess, to like recontextualize the game and the world, and like show you how to do stuff. Right. And that was the way to like introduce you again if you did not, did not play the first one like me. But right, I think I could have just picked it up if they started you off with the powers. I don't know. That's fair. Put a couple, like, just put a text thing on the screen that says like push extra jump. Like, all right, cool, I got it. Yeah, pretty much. Thanks. I'll figure it out from here. It's like how in Halo, every time there's a new Halo, Master Chief has to like go through the uh, the controls like a calibration, and like 
at first it's like, oh, he's on the ship, and they're, like, testing out the armor for the first time. Right. And then it's like, oh, he fell and hit his head. We better make sure that, like, he's healthy. Here, walk towards us. Master Chief has permanent minor amnesia. Yeah, pretty much. Like, all right, cool. Cool, cool, cool. And then lastly, I also played a mobile game. Mm-hmm. It's called Holdown. Yes. We talked about this. I did not download it. <laughs> That's okay. That is... Uh, Quite all right. Now, have you ever played the game Balls? With a Z? Maybe? I don't know. It just sounds like it should end in a Z. I think, yeah, probably. I know what game you were talking about. I don't know. That might have been one of those games that I downloaded to play for an evening when I was watching Food Network and didn't really want to pay attention to anything that I downloaded. I downloaded and then deleted immediately afterwards. Okay, well, I I just, I bring that up because I guess it is meant to resemble Mm -hmm. Balls a bit where... You have, you have a bunch of balls, <laughs> and you gotta bounce them balls off a bunch of different surfaces. Yes, gotta get them into a lot of different nooks and crannies, mm-hmm. and so they can bounce around. And there, like, there will be different objects, and they have a number on them, and it's like fifteen. And you have to hit the object with fifteen balls to make it disappear, and that will cause the screen to scroll up and bring in more uh, obstacles with more higher numbers on them. There's a little bit of strategy because, like, some of them are, like, fixed obstacles and some are not. And so you can knock out the higher ones by hitting the lower ones. Mm-hmm. And the idea, too, is isn't it that you have to, like, if you want to get something that's in a weird corner, you kind of need to ricochet. So you have to make sure that the right number of balls ricochet in the right direction and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you have to, it's perfect for the phone. You're, like, you're lining up your shots. It's, like, kind of like a pool game where it's, like, you have to understand the angles and, like, multiple right. ricochets where it's going to land. That's fun. It is. Is it a good example of that kind of game? I mean, like, do you see it as something that you're going to play regularly, or was it just fun to pick up and you're not going to pick it up again? I think I'm pretty close to done with it. Okay. Because there is a definite ending to the game. There are. Oh, interesting. Okay. There's like you can see there are five different uh, depths to which you are trying to get, mm-hmm. and I'm on the fourth one. Okay. So, I mean, in theory, I should be pretty close to done if I can uh, figure that out. Yeah. Interesting. Um, If we're talking about games with holes... (laughs) Cheeky smile. Um, I am excited. I have not played it yet because it is not officially out, but we are getting tantalizingly close to the release of Donut County, which is my most anticipated game from E3 this year. Um, which I don't know if you're familiar, it is a beautiful pastel game in which you play a hole in the ground, which you move around and swallow things. And as you, it's basically reverse Katamari Damacy. Yeah. But there is a raccoon that rides a Vespa that has donuts on the back of his Vespa. It is very cute. I've heard phenomenal recommendations from anyone that played demos. Um, and it, I was obsessed with Katamari when I was younger. Um, it's one of the first games that I truly, truly loved. Um, and Donut County is beautiful and looks like a really fun version of that kind of game, which we don't get a ton of. Like, it's a very particular kind of game. We don't get very many good ones, so I have already pre-ordered it, so hopefully next time I'm on the podcast I can talk about how much fun Donut County is. Yeah, it looks really good. I I actually did have the opportunity to try it out a little bit. (gasps) What? Yeah, at PAX. Was it good? It was good. It's, It's looking really good. Like, the whole mechanic is a lot of fun. There seems to be, like, a kind of a story behind it where, like, the raccoon is basically messing up the town with a hole. What a jerk. Yeah. 
So that that's great. It all looks pretty great, honestly. I'm really I'm really excited, and I'm very excited that they chose to release it on mobile as well as on consoles. Um, because at the end of the day, unless I'm playing something that's a larger platformer, I am not um, going to be. I play a lot of stuff on mobile. I'm playing constantly playing like solitary varieties or pick cross games or things like that on mobile. That's where most of my gaming happens on a day to day basis. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll be on the lookout for Donut County uh, coming out real soon. You're, I assume, playing it on PS4. PS4 or mobile. I'll probably, get, I might get it on both. To be terribly honest, um, I pre-ordered it on mobile, so we'll we'll play it there. So I have something to do on my commutes on the train while I listen to podcasts. And it's five bucks. It's five. It's actually. I was reading an article about this. Unfortunately, for a lot of people involved, it is cheaper on it's just cheaper on mobile for the exact same stuff and it's just the way that the pricing structure works so you can get it for five bucks on mobile whereas i think it's like 10 might be eight or ten on ps4 and um steam i think it's hopefully coming to switch soon he's Mm -hmm. working on it i think that brings this episode of so many bits to a close no yeah i'm sorry but we'll be back in another two weeks until then shelby if you want people to find you, either electronically or in person, where can they find you? Uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Shelby underscore Fawn. I had to think for a minute. My branding is impeccable. Um, at Shelby underscore Fawn. Um, I'm spending a lot more time on Twitter lately, uh, mostly just kind of retweeting and chatting with folks, um, but lots of time on Instagram, so you guys can find me there. Uh, you can actually also check me out on a storytelling podcast that Bill and I both uh, attend pretty regularly um, called Your Stories. Um, It is a podcast in Chicago. Um, You can find me, you can actually go by Story Archive if you want to find myself specifically, or check out the wonderful nerdy stories that all of our dear friends and community have to tell. Yeah, please do. I've been on there a couple times myself, told some stories about uh, Magic the Gathering on there and other misdeeds. Yeah, I've told stories about writing fan fiction and role-playing on Neopets message boards, <laughs> about speed dating while in cosplay. I've told a lot of really odd stories there. Um, but it is, a, it is a lovely space, and um, there may be news on that front sometime in the near future. Yeah, we'll be waiting for that. As for us, we can be reached by email at somanybitspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, or so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr, at somanybits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from SoundCloud, from Spreaker, from YouTube, and Spotify now. Uh, we play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits. Wednesdays uh, and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering Online. Thursdays for a bunch of different games. Uh, in the past, recently, I've played Mega Man X4, Hollow Knight, uh, Har- Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. We talked about that a bit this episode and more. And last but not least, just thanks so much for listening, and have a great week.